1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Uh, you can visit Johnson's Air Conditioning at johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. And you can get a weekly uh, email on, on the town. It's called... Uh, to tell you about the highlights of some of the things that are going on here in the Paradise Coast, NaplesIllustrated.com. We've got terrific guests for today's show. William Yateman will be joining us. He is a senior research fellow at the Cato Institute. we are talking about the separation of powers. Phil Kirpin is the president of American Commitment. We'll be talking about price controls and consumer credit. Uh, Byron Donalds uh, may be joining us as well, our state representative. I'd hear back from him if we're going to give him a call, see if he can join us. And Dave Bigo, he is uh, the president of his own company. He founded a, a, a company, and uh, he's written a book called The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's about the travails of dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years. And boy, did they play some dirty tricks on him, his customers families, employees, it's just unbelievable stuff, and it uh, parallels pretty much the types of things we're hearing uh, from the Democrat Party during, well, all year, for the last three years. It is March the 6th, and on this day in 1857, As a prelude to the Civil War, the United States Supreme Court issued a decision the Dred Scott case affirming the right of slave owners to take their slaves into Western territories, thereby negating the doctrine of popular sovereignty and severely undermining the platform of the newly created Republican Party. At the heart of the case was the most important question of the 1850s. Should slavery be allowed in the West? As part of the Compromise of 1850, residents of newly created territories could decide the issue of slavery by vote, a process known as popular sovereignty. When popular sovereignty was applied in Kansas in 1854, however, violence erupted. Americans hoped that the Supreme Court could settle the issue that eluded a congressional solution. Dred Scott was a slave whose owner, an army doctor, had spent time in Illinois, a free state, and Wisconsin, a free territory at the time of Scott's residence. The Supreme Court was stacked in favor of the slave states. Five of the nine justices were from the South, while another, Robert Greer of Pennsylvania, was staunchly pro-slavery, Chief Justice Robert B. Taney wrote the majority decision, which was issued on March the 6, 1857. The court held that Scott was not free based on his residence in either Illinois or Wisconsin because he was not considered a person under the U.S. Constitution. In the opinion of the justices, black people were not considered citizens when the Constitution was drafted in 1787. According to Taney, Dred Scott was the property of his owner, and property could not be taken from a person without due process of law. In fact, there were free black citizens of the United States in 1787, but Taney and other justices were attempting to halt further debate on the issue of slavery in the territories. The decision, of course, inflamed regional tensions, which burned for another four years before exploding into the Civil War. Not our proudest moment in history, for for sure. Well, it's uh, another roller coaster ride for the U.S. equity markets on Thursday at California and Washington declared state of emergencies tied to the coronavirus. Amid heavy, heavy volatility, the Dow Jones Industrial Average slid over 970 points yesterday, or 3.5%. This morning, around 6 a.m., the Dow Jones futures were down about 5.30, or 7.30, I should say, uh, 630 and uh, right now they're down about 540, so improving a little bit, but it doesn't look like another good, uh, good day on the, in the market. Just such volatility, and I wonder if that's the new, the new uh, reality, is uh, just a very volatile market for time to come. Well, elderly panhandle man who recently traveled internationally is the fifth Florida resident to test positive for coronavirus, uh, the Santa Rosa County resident uh, is now over the age of 70 and has severe underlying conditions, according to Governor DeSantis. Uh, the governor continued to emphasize that frail seniors are most at risk for the virus that has claimed more than a dozen victims in the United States and thousands worldwide. One of the challenges, of course, facing is the lack of testing kits. Uh, health officials are expecting a shipment from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention soon. We certainly should have those testing kits available at all healthcare outlets. <clears throat> By the way, President uh, Vice President Pence is greeting people with his elbow—an elbow bump as opposed to handshakes. Uh, this is an interesting story. I found this on Zero Hedge. Sir Humphrey Appleby. I love this quote. The Machiavellian senior civil servant in the, that in the hit 1980s British sitcom said, "Yes, Minister." Once famously com- commented that should. Uh, Never believe anything until it's been officially denied. (laughs) That is a great quote. Anyhow, which meant we could be fairly confident that racial and ethnic differences in susceptibility of coronavirus exist, except our race-denying ruling class is so dogmatically refusing to consider the evidence. Well, apparently there's been a study, Chinese research group, that has discovered that Chinese people, because of their uh, genetic makeup, are more... Uh, susceptible to this uh, coronavirus than other folks, and apparently uh, African folks are ser- fairly immune to the coronavirus. That's why there have been so many, so few cases in Africa, uh, according to this research. That's so interesting. So apparently whites and Africans are not as susceptible. Although we know that uh, some whites uh, have gotten the coronavirus, but apparently it's uh, Asian people people that are most susceptible to the coronavirus. While President Trump, speaking at a Fox News town hall yesterday, it was so entertaining, it's uh, Joe Biden's hometown, Scranton, PA, uh, openly suggested that the new Democratic frontrunners' repeated gaffes could be a sign of competency issues, honing a line of attack that Republicans are expected to repeat deploy if uh, Biden becomes the party nominee. Trump was great last day. He was so relaxed. He was having fun. He was responding. The, the format was to have uh, Martha McCallum and Brett Baer ask questions from the audience, and Trump just uh, took them in, answered them. It was great. Trump also wasted a little time in criticizing ex-rival Elizabeth Warren's decision to drop out of the race only after Super Tuesday, saying she may have sabotaged Bernie Sanders' struggling presidential bid by siphoning the progressive vote. The setting was more casual and conversational than Trump's boisterous rallies and afforded the commander-in-chief the opportunity to connect directly with voters. Bernie Sanders would have won five, six, or seven states, Trump remarked. When you look at it, she did him no favors. There was a good friendship. We, Not a good friendship, he said. We started to see that during the debates, by the way. It became unhinged. Trump went on to argue that Biden was damaged by the impeachment process that implicated his son Hunter In apparent overseas corruption. They aimed at Trump and they took Biden down, the president said. Here's a guy who didn't have a job. Unfortunately, sadly, the military was a very sad experience for and he's talking about Hunter Biden. He goes out and gets $3 million plus uh, $183,000 a month to be a board member of a company that a lot of people said was corrupt, he continued, just as bad China I've made a great deal with China. His son walks out of China for a billion and a half dollars for a fund. He said, "The Super Tuesday results," Trump said, "had come as a surprise, especially given what he suggested were Biden's possible cognitive impairments." I was all set for Bernie the communist. Trump began. Audience laughs. And then we had this crazy thing that happened on Tuesday, which he thought was Thursday. And he was also said that 150 million people were killed with guns. <laughs> <laughs> he was running for the United States Senate there's something going on here said the president he noted that he didn't he hadn't spoken to former president obama since 2018, the funeral for George H.W. Bush, in part because of lingering animosity. I sat next to him. I said, hello, Trump said, describing the funeral. Then I said goodbye. That's about it. I didn't like the job he did. I didn't like the job he and Biden did. I didn't like the position he put us in. I didn't like what he did to our military. Right now we have more ammunition than ever before. In fact, it was an interesting exchange. Uh, the, he said that uh, the, he talked to one of the military advisors when he first became president. The guy said, hey, we don't have enough ammunition, said one of the generals. So president has really worked hard to build up the military. And when he was asked about, when he was asked about the, the debt, he said, yeah, I'm very concerned about the debt, but I, we couldn't do anything about it because I had to build up the military. And uh, he says he'll be taking a look at that. He does want the debt to go down. Concerning health care, Trump said he was the most disappointed that he hadn't been able to sell what the great job we've done. The president touted his administration's termination of the Obamacare individual mandate and said plans were now less expensive. But the carcass of Obamacare remains a problem. Without the whole thing, the individual mandate is a whole different ballgame, Trump said. And there's been a lot of advancement on health care, but it's all been kind of a workaround with Obamacare. So hopefully... Uh, they can get to the bottom of uh, solving that problem. Anchor Brett Baer noted that Trump was campaigning. He had promised to, to erase the national debt, and uh, it's a it's been uh, approved a 4.6 trillion dollars in new debt already. I've always talked about it, he said, because to me it's very important. The good thing about the debt is we're paying almost no interest, said the president. He added that more cuts will be coming, but that was a crucially important to fund the military in the meantime. It was a great, great town hall. It was a great experience. It was uh, fun to uh, watch the sh- watch uh, President Trump and his casual and relaxed demeanor, and his comments were entertaining and informative indeed. Well, Uh, The segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We'll be visiting with William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting
1: Network. Gulfshore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents the Florida premiere of a laugh-out-loud comedy, *The Lady Demands Satisfaction*, running from February the fifteenth through March the fifteenth, with preview performances on February the thirteenth and fourteenth. Directed by Broadway star and Gulfshore Playhouse associate artistic director Jeffrey Bender, *The Lady Demands Satisfaction* tells the comedic tale of hapless heiress Troth as she comes of age. After the untimely death of her noble father, Troth learns that she could lose her inheritance if someone beats her in a duel. The only problem? Troth has never laid so much as a finger on a sword. Her domineering aunt, clever servants, bumbling lawyer, and Prussian swordmaster all add to the chaos and mayhem in this hilarious, swashbuckling spoof of 18th century nobility. Tickets are selling fast and are available now. Single tickets for the lady demand satisfaction start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now for the Lady Demand Satisfaction. It was funny, and we saw it on Wednesday. I hope you'll get tickets. Visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Phil Kirpin, the president of American Commitment. Right now we have with us William uh, Yateman. William is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me Bob.
1: Always a pleasure. And uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar with the Cato Institute, tell us about it.
2: Well, we're we're a think tank here in Washington D.C. and we're we're committed to advancing the cause of of free society at every level of government.
1: Fantastic organization. It's org, think tank in Washington, D.C., Cato, C-A-T-O.org. I hope you visit the website. So uh, for these past several weeks, William, we've been talking about the separation of powers, and voila, uh, Crying Chuck, as uh, President, <laughs> President Trump calls with Chuck Schumer, uh, gets in front of the White House when there is apparently a case being considered, unrelated, by the way, to uh, Roe v. Wade, uh, a case being considered by the Supreme Court involving uh, uh, abortion, and uh, and Chuck says, "Hey, you guys, uh... Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, you, you know, you you're gonna you set off a whirlwind, and you've got it. You're gonna really be." <laughs> it was almost like a physical threat. What are your thoughts?
2: It, it's remarkable. He's uh, and I'll finish the the quote. I'm paraphrasing the quote. He said, "You're gonna pay the price yeah. on the 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 steps of the Supreme Court, and you know, in specific reference to Justices Kavanaugh and Gorsuch." Um, and, and this is with respect to, there were oral arguments ongoing with uh, June Medical Services, this case regarding Louisiana um, regulations on abortion providers. But, it, you know, we've been discussing, we discussed the last couple weeks how, although I sympathized with the sentiment that Trump had expressed in a tweet regarding uh, uh, this judge who was uh, presiding over the Roger Stone case, how we we agreed, uh, you know, that's something. It made AG Barr's Attorney General Barr's uh, job more difficult, and generally, it's just a bad idea. And here, uh, Schumer, uh, one of the leading, most uh, powerful, if you will, critics of Trump's behavior. Turns around and doesn't just do the same thing. Mm-hmm. He does it even worse. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't. You know, it, in Trump's context, he was bemoaning the outcome. In this context, it was, as you said, akin to a physical threat. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, who knows? Uh, will there? Uh, who knows what he was thinking? I mean, my, it's my personal belief that this is a sort of. Uh, uh, that he knew exactly what he was doing. That that in, that the 2020 election. There's headwinds, and this was a get out the vote effort, as they say. I mean, he's planting the seeds in the electorate um, that that potentially uh, Roe v. Wade is on the line, and and thereby is trying to to get progressives to the to the ballot box. Um, others are not so sure. Others think it was a slip of the tongue. Um, whatever the case, it, it does appear as though he's going to engender um, potentially a censure from. His colleagues in the Senate. Um, so it is. Uh, uh, it's remarkable. I mean, to be. It's to me. It's not just. A, uh, regardless of these get-out-the-vote political aspects, um, it's just a super sad commentary. I mean, as I said at the outset, this is the exact same behavior that they criticize as they say is unbecoming yeah. of an American statesman, and they turn around and they do the same darn thing. Yeah, it's so, frustrating.
1: So, uh, is it? Uh, you know, I think his his junior senator from Missouri, I believe, is Holly. If I'm not mistaken, is that his name? In any event,
2: indeed, I looked him up after <laughs> our conversation.
1: <laughs> okay, so in any event, he says that, that uh, it's unacceptable, and uh, he wants to censure. And apparently, a censure takes majority vote, not the two thirds vote required for impeachment. Uh, in which, by the way, I think he would prefer if he thought he could get the votes. Is this a censure? Do you think censure is appropriate?
2: I think it would be appropriate, yes. So I would say in in a sane, rational world of Mm -hmm. politics, um, it would be highly appropriate. I mean, indeed, Schumer never would have opened his mouth with such threats to begin with. Um, Here, I'll just note this. I I fear it's... uh, by, by censuring him and, and by making this the center of political attention for a bit, um, they're drawing attention to it and potentially this could become a badge of courage. I mean, for, for those whose politics um, are... are uh, no, I'm not going to... For those who feel incredibly strongly on the left about Roe v. Wade, mm-hmm. they could see this censure as, as some wonderful thing. So in, in this perverse... Well, political climate yes. that we've got, I just kind of wish they'd sweep it under the rug and accept his apology and, and let's move on. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, it, was some, it wasn't necessarily. Yeah, yes, they did apologize. You say, yeah, I'm from Brooklyn, this is the way we talk. No, that's the. Words have meaning, and uh, words are very powerful, and uh, you, it, that was a real physical threat, in my opinion. So. Uh, the... That's if I might interject and just
2: say that's a great point. So his apology was mealy-mouthed. I mean, in a perfect world, he would uh, render a, a, a legitimate, genuine apology, and and we could kind of move on. Um, but you know, alas, he's going to do his mealy-mouth thing and. Um, I think this issue is going to linger, and you know, by no means does he come out looking good in, in my eyes. Um, but alas, there could be this weird political dynamic at play, whereby he, in, in the eyes of some, becomes a uh, uh, you know a martyr for a cause.
1: All right. Well, so you know, uh, to me, it looks like through time and as science progresses, we've seen sonograms and just a number of things, uh, and the politics of this whole se- thing seem to have drifted to the right. I've never been a fan of Roe v. Wade in the first place, but uh, quite frankly, I think the political climate is such that it's losing uh, popularity. In other words, they were talking about women's health rights and that type of thing. I don't think that's uh, washing anymore with the American populace.
2: Well, I mean, uh, geez. then I'll say this. I don't touch that issue with a 10-foot pole. I know you don't. uh, You're a policy guy. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) uh, I'll say this, however, and I don't think this is terribly controversial. Um, America, before Roe v. Wade was decided, states were deciding this issue on their own. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, in states where people felt of a certain way, they could have their way Mm -hmm. and were uh, States where people felt differently, they could have their way. And that was sort of the beauty of American federalism. And it, it, it you know, from a wholly divorced from the issue itself, from the matter itself. It does, uh, the, it, one wonders whether or not this controversy would have persisted to this day had not the Supreme Court federalized the issue right. um, in Roe v. Wade with, with some constitutional jurisprudence that is, uh, again, I don't think it's terribly controversial to say it is tenuous. And that's wholly separate from the issue. Um, I'm just talking about, you know, the, the pure, uh, uh, from a constitutional perspective. And I just, uh, the issue is so divisive today, and I was speaking to sort of a. a Uh, poisoned, if you will, political climate. And I do think uh, that's part of it sort of a divisive politics of abortion. And I do wonder um, whether or not in an alternative world that would have been the case had uh, the Supreme Court exercised more restraint and sort of allowed the the states to decide for themselves.
1: Well, you said it better than I. The the fact of the matter is I think that my belief is the Supreme Court was poking its nose in in, uh, an area where it had no business. It is, you know, states are the petri dishes of uh, the uh, opportunity for change and testing different ideas, the whole, I think, quite frankly, in my opinion, belongs, those decisions belong to the states, not to the federal government. It's a, a fair point. Okay. Well, William Yatman, again, a uh, research fellow at the Cato Institute, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. And for our listeners, I encourage you to visit Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. William, thank you so much for your commentary. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Phil Kirpin. and he's been a frequent guest on the show. He's uh, with an organization called American Commitment. We're going to be talking ab- about price controls, particularly in the area of consumer credit, that and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host. Bob
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, vfga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. Phil, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Hey, great to be with you, Bob.
1: Thank you, Phil. Tell us about American Commitment. What's it all about?
3: Uh, we're a national free market advocacy group. We work really on all of the fiscal, economic, and regulatory issues, and we try to focus on the issues that are sort of on the margin where a little bit of citizen education and engagement can make a difference, maybe prevent a bad idea from coming forward or prevent or stop one that's pretty close to passing and, uh, you know, affect public policy in a more free market direction. And all our stuff is on our website, AmericanCommitment.org
1: terrific uh, I just really appreciate the uh, the mission that you have because it's so critical and so practical in so many ways not just a bunch of white papers that are, you know trying to generate thought but getting some real action so again AmericanCommitment.org. org now you wrote a piece that I found extremely interesting uh, price controls it's about price controls and consumer credit maybe you can tell us about it
3: well price controls are sort of uh, all the rage, despite the fact they never work anywhere they're tried, um, because they have this sort of political simplicity. Something's too expensive, we're going to mandate that it be less expensive, and uh, you can explain that in a political context. And, of course, they're trying to do price controls on drugs, which we've talked about on your show before, and uh, Bernie Sanders wants national rent control, despite the fact all the cities that have it have, a, have are in housing crisis as a consequence. And now we've got this sort of emerging consensus among Democrats that we should have price controls controls on consumer credit, uh, caps on interest rates on credit cards and on installment loans and on payday loans and and so forth. And uh, the debate in the Democratic Party doesn't seem to be should we have uh, price caps on consumer credit. The debate in the Democratic Party seems to be what the number should be. Uh, They're already there. They're already sold on uh, the fact that we should have caps on consumer credit, and uh, they've got a bill in the House Financial Services Committee that Maxine Waters is advocating that has has a 36% annualized interest rate cap, although the way she calculates it, it's really more like 26 because she puts all, all fees of all types into the cap, so it's an all-in, which is an equivalent to a lower retail rate cap. And then, of course, never to be outdone, uh, Bernie Sanders has introduced a bill with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and has in his presidential campaign platform an annualized interest rate cap of 15% and when he did his press conference and he was asked uh... you know well you know what happens uh... to the millions and millions of people who uh, represent default risks that are higher than fifteen percent on an annualized basis and therefore no one will ever lend to them with that cap in place because they it wouldn't the risk could not be justified he said no problem my bill also turns every post office in the country into a lending center and uh... anyone who can't get a consumer loan anymore in the private sector they could just go to the post office and get a uh, loan from the post office and uh... It, of course, that that means government replacing uh, the private sector activity that they've regulated out of existence, and doing so at rates that guarantee massive losses, because doing so at rates uh, that that by policy will not cover the risk of default. Uh, and so you know, it would be, I believe, maybe one election cycle between when they started doing consumer lending at the post office and when the Democrats said we have to forgive all those loans that taxpayer expense or, or,
1: or, or, or perhaps secure the
3: loans they nationalized.
1: Yeah, or perhaps securitize them and then sell them in tranches, and have another have another bubble. You know, this is I mean these types of controls, it's crazy. I mean, somehow you wave a magic wand and you have a fifteen dollar minimum wage. You wave a wand, and all of a sudden you're saying that you can't increase. Rent. I remember when we lived in California when they there were price controls for rent established in California. I think it was eight percent, if I'm not mistaken, eight percent increase. What happened? everybody increased their rents 8%. <laughs> it, it drove it drove up the cost of uh, of uh, living in a rented home or a rented uh, apartment. so uh, the the why can't uh, these people just leave the private sector alone?
3: Uh, well, i think that you know they they always think they know better. yeah, uh, and they think that, um, you know, they, they, they don't understand that prices convey information and allocate resources in a free society uh, to, to liberals or socialists. Uh, because I think the left has actually become very illiberal. Uh, their view is that markets are uh, inherently unfair, uh, exploitative, manipulative, uh, that, uh, the, that all real value derives from labor. That's Marx's theory that Bernie Sanders propounded on the debate stage, and mm. therefore all returns on capital are, are presumptively illegitimate, and uh, government's job is to destroy them and return uh, everything to labor. Now, the fact that An economy can't function that way, and every time it's tried it's resulted in disaster uh, is, of course, always explained away by the socialists as, uh, you know, this time it will be different because we're, we're clever enough to make it all work. I mean, they, I, I mean they, they, that's the best answer I can give you. I don't think, Bob, that it actually makes a lot of sense,
1: but that's yeah, the best answer. I'm I not give. sure. It was probably a rhetorical question <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense at all. It uh, reminds me of this quote from Norman Thomas when in his uh, speech in 1844. Uh, he said, The American people will never knowingly adopt socialism, but under the name of liberalism, they'll adopt every fragment of the socialist program until one day America will be a socialist nation without knowing it and how it happened. He went on to say, I no longer need to run for president. Candidate for the Socialist Party, the Democrat Party has adopted our platform. Boy, and and this is what you're talking about is exactly an example of what he was talking about as a candidate for president.
3: Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's. uh it was pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, and indi- how good that prediction
1: was. Yeah, absolutely, indeed. So, um, what are your thoughts with regard to this? I mean, does this does this have legs? Is this going to get traction in in uh, Congress?
3: Well, I think there's a pretty good chance that they are going to pass that bill, the Maxine Waters version. That's not quite as extreme as Bernie's version. Uh, they are, they, that could happen. That could pass the House. And, uh, you know, they could even pick off some Republicans and pass it in the Senate at some point. Uh-huh. I, I do worry about that because, uh, you know, they already have they already have one Republican in the House as a co-sponsor. And, you know, it's easy to say, uh, you know, nobody ever needs to make more than 36% a year in interest. That's just ripping. Well, you know, the, a lot of products are not... Annual. Yeah, if you lend someone money for two weeks or for a month, uh, you're not going to make any money at all if you have to sort of back out an annualized rate divided by 12 and that's all you can charge, including all of the fees. You're never going to cover your own rent, your own expenses, and so forth. And so the, the very idea that an annualized calculation is the appropriate way for all lending uh to be uh conceptualized and regulated is is ridiculous on its face and uh, you will destroy the availability of all kinds of products and so uh i don't think we can be dismissive of this uh we we do need to explain and uh, and argue against it and point out that this is would only be a first step towards moving almost all consumer lending out of the private sector into the post office and you know this is where someone like Bernie Sanders is actually helpful to us because he just says outright what the end game is uh, instead of taking it one step at a time he he sort of pulls the mask off sometimes and uh, that has explanatory power for us and uh, you know even for somebody who never expense, expects to get a, sh- a small dollar loan and whose credit card rates are already under that cap and thinks hey this doesn't affect me the, the key point to understand is You're going to be the taxpayer at the end of the day holding the bag when government takes this over and then all the loans get written off. See. And so everyone, I think, uh, needs to pay attention to this and try to stop it early before it really gains more momentum.
1: That's such an important point. It really is. And yeah, you know, for most of us, we say, well, that seems reasonable, 36%. We should uh, have some sort of a cap like that. But, you know, if, if you just got your first job, your family just moved, you need uh, some cash until your payday so you can pay your rent, sometimes these things just uh, are really appreciated by the people who are b- borrowing the money so they can keep their homes you know that kind of thing until they get back on their feet financially so we shouldn't judge this thing based on our own circumstances there's people who you know we've all been there at one time or another people don't just get stratified and 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 caught in the situation they're in, in the fifth quintile, whatever it might be, we, you know, people move up and down the chain, and it's great to have these services available uh, when they're needed. the pr- The problem is if uh, if they're not available, it leads to things like shadow banking, right, that aren't regulated.
3: Well, I mean, and, and worse, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, if someone's in a desperate circumstance and there's no uh, legal financing available to them. Uh, that's when they turn to crime uh, or from a loan shark or when they steal or when they do other desperate things, and so uh, you want to have last resort credit, and in particular you know last resort credit uh, you know, there the are twenty or thirty billion dollars that people are getting from those payday lending stores and the vehicle title loans, things like that uh, you know it's easy to say hey that shouldn 't exist those those loans are expensive and so forth, but you know if somebody needs them they 're awfully glad to have them relative to the only other alternatives that would exist. And that's why I don't think that society will ever tolerate an unavailability of, you know, short-term loans. Uh, And if you regulate them in such a way that the private sector can't provide it, uh, the government's going to end up doing it. But then taxpayers are going to absorb the losses, which uh, really is not uh, the, the best outcome for anyone.
1: Uh, Phil Kirpin again, the president of American Commitment. The website is AmericanCommitment.org. I strongly encourage you to visit the website, very robust website, about these very important issues. There's others as well. Phil, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: All right, have a good one.
1: You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be uh, visiting with Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil Out Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
1: For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25 car wash and detailing center and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding.
0: To the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets by visiting the website, GolfshorePlayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us our state representative and candidate for U.S. Congress, Byron Donalds. Byron, thank you so much for visiting with us. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining us, Byron. So, uh, Byron, uh, I was just wanted to get your comments and thoughts about uh, Super Tuesday uh, and the, all the implications and things that have happened since, uh, since that uh, debate. Or, or election, I should say.
4: Well, I gotta tell you, it's one of those things where you kind of see it coming. Um, but it really happened in dramatic fashion. That's the Democrats really decided to make a decision that they were going to coalesce to stop Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Uh, personally, you know, as a Republican, I wanted nothing more than to see Bernie Sanders become a nominee because he's so radical that it would have been crystal clear that most Americans just are not going to be where he is. Um, and so I think they made a decision internally among several campaigns, many operatives, many donors, that it was time for people to drop out the race. So I never really seen anything like it. Um, but, you know, that's where we are right now. Yeah. Now, I think that, you know, with a Joe Biden Bernie Sanders race, well, just the two of them, I think what you're really going to see is, in some respects, a, a Democratic civil war. Yeah. Bernie Sanders is not going to go away quietly, his supporters are not going to yield to the establishment. And it's going to be actually quite interesting to see what the next couple of weeks, next month look like.
1: I couldn't agree more. Byron, I know you've got a busy schedule and you've got to take off here pretty quickly. So I do want to end our discussion with a discussion of your candidacy for U.S. Congress. And uh, I want our listeners to understand that I definitely support you as uh, our next U.S. Congressman. I think, frankly, that you'll be the one that they'll choose, like Mark Meadows and others and have been in the past, to come on uh, shows, uh, uh, news outlets in order to talk about issues of the day because I I believe you're personally not only well informed but number two not very articulate can express uh, really good opinions with regard to the issues of the day. So Byron, your your website is byrondonalds.com? dot com.
4: That's correct, byrondonalds.com. dot com. You know anybody going to need any assistance that um, they can do. Um, online will be com- will be definitely appreciated. Uh, fundraising in the campaign is going very very well. Um, I think we're close to hitting another milestone, although I can't really talk about that stuff right now. Yeah. Um, and so you know, right now we're just in the process of you know putting together a campaign that can, that can go in. So um, you know, contributions are definitely appreciated and needed. Um, so please go to my website byrondonalds.com so we can make sure that. Southwest Florida has a conservative that you can actually trust to get the job done in D.C.
1: Perfect, ByronDonalds.com is the website. The mother milk of politics is money, and uh, certainly uh, Byron's a great candidate. We don't want to see him in that position in the election in November. Byron, generally uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me, Bob. You have a wonderful day.
1: You as well. Thank you, Byron. So, uh, just a comment about uh, about uh, his comments. Now the Democrat establishment has decided that Bernie Sanders uh, it is, should not be the candidate. They've decided on Joe Biden, and we know all the issues that surround uh, Joe Biden. Now, here's the, uh, my my thought on this: is that. President Trump is not a favorite of the Republican Party because he is not controllable. He does what he believes is right. And, of course, the establishment has to follow along. They're very upset with that, of course. Uh, And I'm talking about the deep state and the mainstream media. And I believe the same thing is true with Bernie Sanders. He's kind of a populist candidate. And uh, Joe Biden is kind of a lapdog. I'm quite certain that the establishment would be able to call the shots and determine how things are going to go with regard to his pres. Presidency should he uh, become president of the United States. So I think uh, having Joe Biden as a, a presidential candidate, not only as a presidential candidate, but as the actual president, as long as they can keep him breathing, and so he's not, I think it's the 27th Amendment that suggests that he's no longer competent, but as long as that's not evoked, then uh, as a president, I think the, a, a Democrat establishment could control what's going on and, and maintain its power. So uh, we're going to see how this all plays out. But it's so interesting to see how uh, since the election... Elizabeth Warren has stepped down. Uh, She's not running, but she hasn't endorsed Bernie Sanders. You may recall, she said, you called me a liar on stage. Remember, the microphone was still hooked up. Bernie Sanders said, hey, let's not talk about that right now. Well, I think she has a real resentment about that entire thing. She probably thinks in her own mind, I don't know this, that he's the reason that she's not the top candidate for the Democrat nomination. So she withheld her support of uh, Bernie Sanders first, and second of all, as President Donald Trump pointed out in his uh, discussion last night in the town hall, uh, he she basically took votes away from him. If it were her intention to step down, if she had done it before uh, Super Tuesday, Bernie Sanders would have won, uh, the president says, five additional votes or five additional states in uh, Super Tuesday. So... Uh, Bernie Sanders, of course, is a real problem for the Democrats. He's an independent. They said, come into the tent because we don't want, to, we don't want an independent party uh, with you running for president. You'll divide the Democrat vote. Well, guess what? Now he's the popular candidate. And uh, so they're doing everything in their power to reduce his ability to win the nomination for the Democrat candidate for president. So interesting to watch. All right. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dave Bego. He's the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep uh, about the travails of dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years. The dirty tricks they played were just awful. He said, look, I won't sign your neutrality agreement. What's a neutrality agreement? Well, basically gives union bosses the right to go by and sign up his employees one at a time using things like intimidation and force and whatever, browbeating, get them to sign up, and if they get 50% plus one, his shop would have been unionized. He resisted. He said, if you want to unionize us, you can certainly do that, but you're going to have to do it with secret ballot, and they refused. So they finally, after two and a half years, were just uh, left, and uh, he's no longer uh, threatened by them. Oh, they'll they'll probably come back. So uh, Dave Vigo's book is The Devil at Our Doorstep. He's a real... Uh great he does great commentary on union activity. We're gonna do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. Here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: The Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida celebrates its 10th year anniversary Join us at Naples Hilton on March 23rd for an evening among fabulous, like-minded supporters, friends, and fans of local Jewish history. Enjoy great food and entertainment, including the premiere of a new documentary from the Society's original Southwest Florida Jewish Pioneers film series, Mayor with a Heart, about Naples' very own four-time mayor, Honorable Bill Barnett. Proceeds of the evening will directly benefit the Virtual Museum of Southwest Florida Jewish History. For inquiries, tickets to advertise, sponsor, or underwrite the event, email off. At jhsswf.org or call 833 547 7935. That's 833 JHS SWFL. We'll see you there.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Dave Beagle, as I mentioned before the break, and I told you about the story and the assault on his company and on him and his employees uh, he wrote a book about it. It's called The Devil at Our Doorstep. Uh, Dave, thank you so much for joining us.
5: Well, thanks for having me on, Bob, and uh, I appreciate it. And people around the country need to read my book because uh, it will tell them what's going on in this country today. same tactics are being by, used by the unions. And, um, um, you know, the SEIU is the one I fought. And uh, as uh, you mentioned just before we came on the show, um, the SEIU is uh, supporting... Um, Bernie Sanders. Is
1: that what you said? Well, uh, what they've done, I found a column that says that 2 million service workers, uh, they they represent 2 million service workers, SEIU, they're investing $150 million to defeat President Trump in November. In other words, I'm not sure they've picked their candidate yet, but they certainly have picked their cause, which is to support the progressive movement.
5: Well, that's because they want to take over this country, and as I've said many times on your show, they want to bring this country down and turn it into a communist, socialist, socialistic country so they can control us. And um, the reason I said Bernie Sanders is I don't know uh, how you and uh, your listeners have watched so much on TV, but a lot of times Bernie Sanders, and he's in different places than that, that behind him on, on the walls are, um, you know, sheets with SEIU on them and uh, people stand behind with SEIU shirts and stuff like that. And I know that they're supporting and running his campaign in a big way. And, uh, so, and, and I, I think they're helping Biden some too. So between the two, they're trying to bring the president down.
1: No question. They do want to, because that'll get him back in power. What the president of the United States has done right now is Trump has, he's rolled back a lot of the initiatives and a lot of the policies that the president put in place to support union activity. And, uh, we have, you know, it's all about unionizing all workers and, uh, you know, moving forward on the... A communist agenda.
5: Yes, it is. And, um, you know, they're going to continue to do this. It's going to get, it's going to get even uglier as we move closer to the election and that. And uh, President Trump has to be, and, and I think he did this last night um, on the town hall. He was very, very professional and uh, very appealing to the audience and uh, friendly and stuff like that. And that's what you have to do. Uh, because if you, you know, if he goes back to his old thing with his tweets and his comments, and you know, and stuff like that, um, they um, they're going to use all that uh, to attack him with. They're going to use it for bullets against him. And uh, a show like last night, there's not much of anything they could use against him.
1: Well, they'll find something. I, I guess my opinion is they'll always have an assault on President Trump. I mean, we're talking about the uh, coronavirus. They attack. I mean, what he's what he's done, I think, has been fantastic, even in the face they, they objected to his cutting off travel to China. So I think the attacks will be there. However, that said, I think what you're pointing out, he seemed relaxed. He was comfortable. He, he did say, by the way, that, you know, if they attack us, we're going to attack them. He did say that. But I think you know, what you're suggesting is he really looked presidential last night, relaxed and presidential.
5: Right, and and uh, it wasn't uh, some of the really bad comments and uh, very you know off 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 the chart type of comments that he has said before in the past. And uh, again, you know you could tell people and you know when they're asking a question, he was very accommodating and stuff like that and he has to continue to be that way because you know Bob that's one way I beat the SIU they tried to uh, you know debate me in front of people and uh, places and that and they found out that uh, I was very professional about it and I um, was nice to people and but I also at the same time in a nice way exposed what they were doing and uh, uh, after two or three uh, debates, they didn't want to debate me anymore.
1: Yeah, this the, is what he has to do. Well, they try and pour you in the mud and uh, <laughs> try and create bo- problems for you. I, I think my personal opinion is Trump's tweeting has really uh, foiled the Democrat and the mainstream media messaging, and I think it's got him really frustrated. So uh, I'm all for what he's done, I, You know, and I realize that sometimes it irritates people, but... Uh, I, I just think it's been extremely effective politically as well as in terms of, uh, uh, of fending off some of the things they're trying well, yeah, to accomplish. But they'll,
5: Bob, they would use it as bullets to shoot him with because the media is controlled by the unions. And, uh, right. you know, that's why my second book, which I said should be a national bestseller, um, and not as many people have bought it because, uh, you know, um, the union saw me on TV and CNN and MSNBC and Fox and that and talking about all this stuff. And my second book came out, they would not have me back to talk about it again. Yeah. And um, that's because the mainstream media is controlled by them. And uh, the other thing I wanted to say real quick about the unions is is uh, they're not in it for the people and they're not in it for their membership. Um, and, you know, the UAW um, really uh, showed that this past year. Uh, past, uh, month and uh, what's going on now legal against him Um, but there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that calls them uh, uh, big labor big crooks and uh, you know they're saying this guy Mr. Jones uh, from UAW uh, filed fraudulent uh, expenses reports seeking union reimbursement for leadership and training conferences, but instead of legitimate union purposes, hundreds of thousands of dollars went to lavish entertainment, personal spending for conspirators, prosecutors' claims. He, Mr. Jones allegedly spent 13000 on cigars, and the feds say union money also paid for golf outings, high-end booze, spa services, amusement park tickets, luxury condominiums and villas and meals at private restaurants pricey restaurants and just went on and on and that uh, you know, basically, uh, the dues money was going in his pocketbook and, and not to take care of the membership.
1: Well, and, and that's just atrocious. I mean, the, what I see when I you know there was a time and a day when unions served a very important uh, purpose in terms of little things like, uh, for example, in the uh, in the performing arts, dancers uh, had a, got a rule in their union contract to not dance or not practice on concrete floors. That's a reasonable thing to want, you know, so they don't hurt themselves uh, and and their ability to perform. But now, moving forward, it's all about the union bosses and political control and many union members are fed up. They don't want to be any part of it anymore. Oh,
5: absolutely. And you know, I got right to work passed here in Indiana and Michigan and Michigan I got passed because um, UAW workers at a Ford plant read my first book and uh, they called me and they'd heard I'd been involved in getting right to work passed Indiana and they had me come up there and and sat down with them They said, Mr. Bego, you've got to help us get this passed. We're tired of the union bosses, uh, their political agenda, and they're using our dues money for their own pocketbook instead of what's right for us. And uh, that's that's what's going on today.
1: Yeah, and the other side of that, of course. And, and by the way, uh, I think, Dave, you'll agree with this. It's not all unions. Some unions are, due, are upright and uh, forthright in their dealings. They support their union members. And I'm talking about uh, trade unions for the most right. part. You're right. So uh, we're not, we're not uh, bashing unions. It's more about the behavior of union bosses and what they're doing with union money. In many cases, uh, uh, really foiling this, the uh, First Amendment rights of union members because uh, when, you, when you spend money on politics, you are expressing an opinion. Uh, and when you're expressing an opinion, that happens to be uncovered under the First Amendment. And if uh, you're expressing an opinion other than what you want expressed... It should upset you, and that's exactly what's happening with people who are more conservative, working for uh, organizations like SEIU.
5: Yeah, well, it's the bigger unions that are causing this: UAW and uh, SEIU. And then uh, again, last month, John Romero, uh, <clears throat> who heads up the United Industrial Services Workers of America, um, you know, he's president. Um, he was found guilty of stealing nearly eight hundred thousand dollars from the health plan for the uh, uh. membership
1: unbelievable yeah. so uh, you have not only uh, you know, guiding money towards the democrat party 95% of the money goes to the democrat party but also uh, pilfering <laughs> in a big way stealing money from uh, from uh, union members in order to have uh, enhance their lifestyle is just unbelievable so Dave, uh... Y- your thoughts again about the president last night he did a good job
5: he did a good job and he it's going to be tough and uh... He's going to have to uh, stay very professional about it because they're really going to come after him. Um, you know, I was telling you about the, uh, this article. I was reading Big Labor's Big Crooks, and they, they talk about other, you know, unions too, like the United Food and Commercial Workers and that. And but and they say, keep these shameful records in mind when Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden said they want Congress to repeal right-to-work laws in 27 seven states. They claim they want to protect workers, but both candidates would lock workers into union membership and coerce dues payments even though they're labor bosses, they're crooks and thieves. So they speak out of both sides of their mouth. They don't tell the truth. And this is the same thing I ran up against with the SCIU.
1: Yeah, Dave Beagle again, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Visit the website. Uh, Dave just updated the website. It's uh, thedevilatourdoorstep.com. You can also get a copy of the book on my website, bobharden.com, and, of course, through all uh, uh, major outlets. Dave, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
5: No, thanks for having on, and have a great weekend.
1: You have a great weekend as well, Dave. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, I should say Monday, we'll visit with Mark Shulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. always enjoy his commentary about global events. I'll visit with the president of Golden Paws, uh, doing creating uh, support dogs for uh, military people who uh, need that kind of support. And also, uh, Jim McTagg, he's the author of Shake the Money Tree, a sequel to Follow the Leader. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.